Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn to the last paragraph of Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only... What do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it was your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who spoke these words. You wrote the book on love. And then you practice what you preached by having your son from a cross to an unloving crowd say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, you are here this morning through your Holy Spirit teaching us the scriptures to live different lives, to love people that in the natural it would be impossible We also remember where we read, that which is impossible with men is possible with God. So lift us to that level, we pray, in Jesus' name. Two of the strongest words found in the English language are in one verse this morning, verse 43 of our text. The word love and the word hate, two opposite words that denote strong emotion. Strong passion. And they form a perfect antithesis. Love, the opposite of hate. In fact, you cannot love something and hate it at the same time. You can't love someone and hate them at the same time. There was a five-year-old girl who was misbehaving, and her parents punished her by sending her to her bedroom without dinner. She was very angry at mom and dad and wrote them a note. Dear Mom and Dad, I hate you. And she signed it, Love Nicole, (laughs) and put it on their pillow of their bed. In chapter 5 of Matthew, beginning in verse 43, we have what I think is the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the capstone. It's the very heart of the gospel. Love. I've discovered that even unbelievers, people who don't know the Lord and don't know the New Testament, they know about this section of Scripture. They know it's here. And they know that Christians, if they do one thing, they ought to love one another. In fact, they'll say that. I thought Christians were supposed to love each other. It's unfortunate, however, that to so many folks... The idea of love is a sappy, sentimental, surface, shallow love. When when people think of love, they think of moonlit evenings and a gentle smile and a romantic dinner, not self-sacrifice. 
which is what our text speaks about. Back in 1875, the longest love letter on record was written by a man by the name of Marcel de la Clure, written to his girlfriend, Magdalene de Villalore. It is said that he wrote the words, I love you, 1,875,000 times. The idea was that it would be a thousand times the calendar years of that date, 1875, so 1,875,000 times. You might say, boy, that's so romantic. Well, don't get too excited. He didn't do it. He hired somebody to write it for him, and then he gave it to her. And what I want to know is, how is that couple doing 5, 10, 15, 20 years later in that relationship? The 1960s were called the love generation. Love songs written. The Beatles sang, all you need is love. There was a little phrase in that song. It says, it's easy. All you need is love. Is love easy? I guess it depends what kind of love you're talking about. The love in verse 43 is certainly easy. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's easy. But I submit to you that verse 44 on down to the rest, it ain't easy. That's where the hard part begins. In fact, that's what separates the big leagues from the minor leagues, the men from the boys. True love from just a surface kind of a love. Once again, you need to remember that what we're keying off of this morning, as in the previous paragraphs, is a single verse, Matthew 5, verse 20, which Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. After making that statement, he then gives six examples of that, and this is the sixth example of what it means to have Our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And again, this is the pinnacle of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 43 begins with what I'm calling the truth corrupted. The truth corrupted. What they heard in the past and what they heard that had changed the law of God. It's the truth corrupted. Then verse 44 is the truth corrected. But I say to you, and then finally we have the truth conveyed, what it means, what you convey, what we demonstrate, what we show when we love the way Jesus taught us to love. So let's begin with the truth corrupted. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. (laughs) Where'd they hear that? Well, is that from God? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Thou shalt hate people. Well, part of it actually was from God, and part of it wasn't from God. And here's the problem, is Jesus is quoting, referring to a text of Scripture, which I'm going to share with you in a moment. And uh, the problem is, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, they left something out of it, they put something into it, and they passed something over. They left something out, they put something in, and they passed something over. First of all, they left something out. Now, I'm going to quote the phrase that Jesus is referring to. It's back in Leviticus chapter 19. And to frame the context, Leviticus 18, 19, and 20 are laws 
that talk about how Israelites are to treat one another in the community. And it says, Leviticus 19:18, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What part of that phrase did they leave out? As yourself. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They left out the as yourself. And in leaving out the as yourself lowers the standard of love down to a manageable level. Because when you start loving people like you love yourself, you got to change. The Pharisees, they didn't want to change. So they left out as yourself. So they left something out. The other mistake they made is they put something into it. And we just read it. You will love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Can you imagine? They made hatred a commandment. Talk about twisting the scripture. Now, if we had an interview with Joe Pharisee on the street 2,000 years ago and say, Joe or Shlomo or whatever your name is, why do you guys say love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Where'd you get that from? He'd probably put his arm around you and open up or unscroll his book of Leviticus and say, well, let me point out to you that Leviticus chapter 19 is addressed to the children of Israel, and we believe that one's neighbor refers to one's brother, spiritually speaking. And he'd say, let me show you the context. He would take you back a verse Let me read the context to you. This is Leviticus 19, beginning now, one verse earlier in the 17th verse. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he would say, I have to love my brother a fellow Jew, a fellow Israelite, someone who's of my religion, my group. And since I'm commanded to love my neighbor, anybody who would stand against my neighbor or not be one of my brethren, I must hate, they would say. Neighbors to them were only Jewish people, and some of them even the southern kingdom down in Judah. Gentiles, Samaritans, you shouldn't love, you should hate. You'd say, Skip, come on, I, I can't believe people actually thought that. They did. There was uncovered a saying of the Pharisees that read, quote, If a Jew sees a Gentile fallen into the sea, let him by no means lift him out, for it is written, Thou shalt not rise up against the blood of thy neighbor, but this man is not thy neighbor. Some of the pious Jews used to even have a saying that God created the Gentiles to kindle the fires of hell. That was the sole purpose God created them. Down in the uh, Essene community, the Qumran community, the area down by the Dead Sea of Israel, where a group of ascetics lived, translating the law, had their own community, they were also commanded to love and treat one another hold each other in high regard, those whom God has elected, they said, and to have a hatred for the outsider. And that Pharisee that you just interviewed might even point out the fact that some of the psalms were written, they sound sort of vengeful. They're called imprecatory psalms. 
In fact, here's one. I think it's Psalm 58 where David prays about his enemies. Lord, break their teeth in their mouth. Did you know that was in the Bible? I hope you don't pray that for your friends or your enemies. Break their teeth in their mouth. Or they might point out Psalm 139 which says, I hate them with a perfect hatred and I count them as my enemies. So here you have... A group of people who had so twisted the scripture by leaving something out as yourself, putting something in, hate your enemies, and they passed something over. They passed something over. I quoted Leviticus 19. I looked at two verses. If you read down a few more verses, God says you're not only to love your brother, not only to love those of your own kindred, your own kind, your own people group, but everybody else. This is now Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. And you shall love him as you love yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God is drawing the circle around everyone. Now you understand about the guy who went to Jesus and they were talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And then the guy said, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus had to say, basically, anyone in need. He gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. They had so twisted the scripture that they didn't have to love people that they didn't want to love, but they could hate them. So they left something out. They put something in. They passed something over. Just to add a little more to buttress that, It's not only Leviticus 19. Here's a couple more scriptures. Exodus 12, the Lord says, One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. What does that mean to us? That means here in our community, every ethnicity, every people group, every kind of person, whether we like them or not, every socioeconomic, every person, we are to love them as we love ourselves. Exodus 23, 4, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey, or we might say motorcycle, wandering off, be sure that you take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure that you help him with it. You know, it's amazing how much scripture we can ignore when we come with our own agenda. We can ignore so much. Oh, we underline this one. We memorize that one. We just forget the rest of it. That's why we need to read all of the Bible and look at every verse in its context because any verse of Scripture taken in isolation can actually be dangerous to your spiritual health. Peter warned of this in the New Testament. He spoke of people who take the Scripture and twist it, which untaught and unstable people will twist to their own destruction. You can make the Bible say anything you want. I said a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, you can prove from the Bible there is no God if I take something out of context. Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I can show you from the Bible that God loves baseball more than football. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sorry. Let's move on. That's the truth that has been corrupted. Let's look at the truth corrected, verse 44. But I say to you... Now, this is the sixth time we've read that. 
This is what you've heard. This is what I say to you. And in the original language, it's very emphatic. Ego, that is I emphatically myself. Lego, I say or declare or proclaim to you. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Now, in reading that, you might say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't have any enemies. (laughs) Liar. (laughs) According to the meaning of the word you do, The meaning of the word enemy here is ekthros in the Greek language. It means someone who is hostile toward you. Notice that Jesus doesn't say if you have enemies. He assumed that you would in making this kind of a statement. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines an enemy as one who is antagonistic toward another. Know anybody like that? Somebody antagonistic toward you is defined as an enemy. David even prayed in Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Lord, you you set a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Now think for a moment of David's enemies. Can you think of, of some of them? There were some obvious enemies. Goliath would be one. Philistines would be another. They're obvious enemies. Amalekites would be a third. Moabites would be a fourth. Those were obvious enemies of David. But he had some not-so-obvious enemies. His father-in-law, Saul. His son, Absalom. His trusted counselor, Ahithophel, who turned on him. They became his enemies. They became hostile toward him. So understand that enemies are a normal part of the Christian life. Even Jesus said, your enemies will be those of your own household. Now here Jesus says, love your enemies. The Beatles said it's easy. It's not. But it is essential. Dwight Moody said, a man may may be a good doctor without loving his patients. He can be a good lawyer without loving his clients. He can be a good geologist without loving science. But you can't be a good Christian without love. Now I want to give a quick refresher course on, on love, the words in the Bible. We have one word, unfortunately, in the English language translated love. The Greek language had four. And we translate them all with one singular word. It's unfortunate because they mean different things. I say it's a refresher course because probably you know what these words are, but I'll share them anyway. The first one is never found once in the Bible. It's the Greek word eros. The word erotic comes from that, or erogenous. It's Hollywood's version of love. It's purely physical. And it was a Greek word based upon a Greek god named Eros. And so to speak of physical love, they use the term Eros, erotic love. The second word is the word storge, or storgi. It's filial love, family love. The love that parents have toward children, and children have toward parents. The Bible uses this word but only in the negative. It says, In the last days, people will be disobedient to parents and unloving, astorgos, without natural affection in the family unit. The third word we're more familiar with, it's the word phileo. Philadelphia, philanthropic comes from this word. It's a friendship love, fondness. But it is selective because 
People choose friends. It's discriminatory. You might say, he's my friend. I've chosen a special relationship with that person, and so I have a fondness toward him. The fourth word is the word we all know as Christians. It's the most predominant word in the New Testament. It's the word agape, or in its lexical form, agapao, I love. It is used more than any other term in the New Testament for love, And what's interesting, even as eros, you can't find that in the Bible, the word agape is absent from secular Greek literature, except for one exception. One time it's used in a particular instance. But it seems that the biblical authors wanted a new word to convey a brand new thing. Because that's the word they used to describe God's love. It's the kind of love God traffics in. Unconditional, sacrificial, non-discriminatory love. For God so loved agape, the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, God demonstrated his agape, love, toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God knows all about you but he has chosen to love you anyway. That's agape love. That's the kind of love that God traffics in. Agape love, and it's different from all the other forms, is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. It's not a feeling you can't help. It's a choice you can help. By the way, loving doesn't necessarily mean liking Sometimes you say, I can't love that person. What we mean is, I don't like that person. You know what? If I met them, I might not like them either. That's not the issue. I don't think God calls us to like everybody. That'd be impossible. But he commands us to love each other and love everyone and love even our enemies, whether we feel like it or not. Do you think God likes the way we are all the time? No, but God loves us. Okay, how are we to show this kind of love? Here it is. Bless those who curse you. Do good. Pray for those who spitefully use you. I have discovered it's very hard to hate somebody that you put on your prayer list all the time. Try it. Somebody that's your enemy, I dare you, put them on the top of your prayer list and pray for them all the time. You won't be able to harbor a grudge for very long. You can't stay enemies long. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a dear woman after a service. She came up to me about a year, year and a half ago. She said uh, she was very angry at her ex, her ex-husband. She said, you told us to love people today. And she told me about her husband. She said, I don't love him as a husband. I don't love him as a man. I don't love him as a Christian. This guy, she said, is my enemy. So I said, then love him as an enemy. He says, love your enemies. You can't get out of loving people. You already even love your enemies. I want to read a story that Juan Carlos Ortiz, you may be familiar with him. He was a pastor at one time down in Argentina before he moved back to the States. He wrote in a great little book of his years ago. There was a man, he writes, in my former denomination who became my enemy some time ago. I said... Uh, He said that I was not being faithful to the church. Eventually, he started to hate me. During one of uh, the conventions, I went to him and said, Hello, how are you? And I gave him a hug. Don't hug me, he growled. Well, I love you, I replied. You can't love me. 
because I'm your enemy. He was almost shouting. Praise the Lord, I said. I didn't know you were my enemy, but here's an opportunity for me to love my enemies. Thank you, Jesus, for my precious enemy. He writes, you know something? Within a year, I was preaching in his church. It's hard to withstand that kind of force of unconditional love. So we have the truth corrupted, the truth corrected. Now we're going to finish this up and look at the truth conveyed. When we choose to love this way, it will convey something, demonstrate something to others around us. First of all, verse 45, it will convey your heritage. Look at it. That you may be sons or children of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's how God loves. You don't see the sun shining on believers and all the heathen have black, dark clouds wherever they go. God's sunshine is for everybody. He loves everyone. And so what Jesus is saying here is the greatest demonstration that you're my kid is that you have agape love for even your enemies, even those who slight you, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. One of the most common criticisms I've heard against the Christian church is that Christians don't live up to their faith, especially when it comes to loving people. I will never forget a newspaper article I saw years ago when the whole televangelist thing blew up and there were lawsuits and uh, um, indiscriminations against character. And it was called People That Love. That was the name of the article, People That Love. And the subtitle was, Evangelists use love more than any other word, but they throw bombshells at each other. The world sees that. Heard about a guy. He was driving. It was in the Midwest. He had dressed in a devil costume, going to a masquerade ball. He's driving down a country road. One of those Midwestern rainstorms came up in the summer. He lost control of the car. It ended up in a ditch. He couldn't get it out. Now picture the guy. He's in a devil costume. It's raining cats and dogs outside. He has to get out of his car and run to the nearest building for help. The nearest building was a church. (laughs) They were having a prayer meeting. Thunder and lightning outside, rainstorm, and this guy in the devil costume goes up to the front door of the church And as he's opening the front door, just at that time, this huge peal of thunder and bolt of lightning, and the devil opens the door of the church. Everyone in church runs out, except for one little old lady holding a cane and shaking. And she looks square in the eye and said, Mr. Devil, I want you to know one thing. I've been a member of this church for 40 years, but I've really been on your side all the time. I wonder how many people go to church every week, year after year, but they're really on the devil's side the whole time. Because church is just a good thing to come to. It makes me feel good. I love the songs, but I don't want to change, especially in this area where I can hold on to a grudge. But Jesus says you convey the fact that you're authentic when you love like this. Number two, we will convey our distinction. We'll show greater than any other distinction the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. We can talk about love all day long. 
But you want to show the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? It's here. Look at the next two verses. Verse 46, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Listen, unbelievers are not incapable of showing love. An unbelieving father can love an unbelieving son. An unbelieving husband can love a wife. An unbelieving child can love parents. Unbelieving friends can love each other. And the point Jesus is making is that if that is the extent of your love only, you're no different than a pagan. Can you imagine how insulted the Pharisees, if they were in that crowd, would have been? Because they thought they did everything better than everybody else. Remember verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you love people that just love you and treat you well, you're no different than the pagan world. What separates the men from the boys, the big leagues from the minor leagues? It's this kind of love. What marks a Christian as distinct and extraordinary? It's second mile love. It's turn the other cheek love. It's pray for and bless those who curse you kind of love. I want to tell you a little story about a man that I met. His name was Mike. Well, his name was Kohama Sensei. He was in Japan, but Mike was a lot easier. He said, just call me Mike. Mike was a World War II pilot. He was a kamikaze pilot. Two weeks before he flew his suicide mission, the war ended. Mike wanted to become a pastor and was shepherding a little flock. In fact, we ordained him from our church in Albuquerque. He was a godly man. He linked up with a friend who became a friend named Keith Ritter, who at that time was involved with smuggling Bibles into China and ended up in Tokyo, Japan. They became the closest of friends in the ministry together and was his closest associate to the day that Mike died and went to heaven. Keith Ritter was also in World War II. He was an American. They were sworn enemies. But the love of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, brought to them a love for each other that in the natural would have been impossible. Two enemies sworn to kill each other were now brought together by the death of their Savior and the gospel message. And it was even more powerful as these two enemies were now the closest of friends. The third thing we convey is not only our heritage, not only our distinction, we convey our maturity. It's it's an interesting thing. You were to ask the average person, what makes a Christian a mature Christian? You might get a whole lot of answers from He carries a big Bible to he's memorized lots of verses to, well, he's got a Ph.D. in theology. You want to know what makes a mature believer? Here, verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, talk about something that would stop us dead in our tracks In fact, I've heard people looking at these verses, especially verse 48, say, this is so impossible. This is such a high standard. This can't be for us. It must be referring to what's going to happen in the kingdom age in the future when we're renewed and after the resurrection. I don't think so. The word 
perfect is the word teleos in Greek. It means mature, complete, something that has reached its goal, something that has fulfilled its intended purpose. And so when something is perfect or teleos, it fits the purpose for which it was made. How do you know if a Christian is a mature Christian? When he's complete, perfect, in love, loves this way. Here's the calling. Get out of the shallow end. Get into the deep end. Anybody can be in the shallow and say, I love people who like me. The deep end is, I will choose to love you even if you say bad things about me. Even if you antagonize, even if you hate, I'll be here to love. So many Christians talk about the deeper life. Give us something deep. This is it. Love people who hate you. You've arrived. I've been to Jerusalem 27 times, and every time I go, we go to a museum called Yad Vashem. It's the Holocaust Memorial Museum. It's a moving site. It's always the end of the day because you can't do anything else after you've seen it. Outside the museum, however, is a row of trees called the Avenue of the Righteous, and there's a tree we always like to take our groups to, the tree planted in in honor of Corrie ten Boom, who, as you know if you know her story, she housed Jews during World War II and protected them, and she herself was caught as a Christian woman and her family. Some were executed. She was put in a concentration camp. She moved back to California before she died, lived in Orange, and uh, she spoke a lot of different places and told her experiences. One night she was speaking, and in the crowd was the very guard in the concentration camp who had tortured and brutalized her and her sister and had come up after one of her talks with his hand outstretched, and he said to her, eyeball to eyeball, will you forgive me? You want to know what she said? She writes about it. I stood there with coldness, clutching at my heart, but I know that will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I prayed, Jesus, help me. Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and I experienced an incredible thing. The current started in my shoulder, raced down into my arms, sprang into our clutched hands, Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with my whole heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. This is how she concludes that. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover the prisoner was you. If you are holding on to a grudge, you are in prison this morning. You want to be set free, then you make a choice. It's over. It's done. Forgiven. I love you. I forgive you, whether I feel like it or not. If we live by how we feel, if we love by how we feel, we are in the shallow end. Every pagan in the world can do that. Christian love is this, is this, is this.